teaching us this morning. This, this is the first time you're actually preaching at Ellerslie, isn't it? Second time. Second time. Yeah, okay. It was a while ago, but yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome back, David. Uh, you're you're here with uh, some of your family, uh, with Andrea, your wife. Andrea, are you yeah. back there? And uh, two of your children, your girls, Sophia and Hannah. Hannah, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody's missing. Yeah, so um, a couple, three years ago, um, a boy that we had known for a long time at the orphanage where we worked um, was turning 18, and so we took him into our home, and he's become like a son to us, and we applied to get him a visa, but I think the relationship with Guatemala, North America is a little um, tumultuous right now, so he did not get the visa, so he was not able to join us, but he's in Guatemala, Um, yeah. And he's doing what? He's something interesting, actually. Yeah, he's studying aviation, so his dream is to be a pilot, and that's what he's working towards. Awesome. Okay. The focus of David ministry in Guatemala is, uh, as he said, something that is very, very dear to God's heart, and that's orphans. Mm-hmm. And uh, so today, it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey. He's going to share a little bit about how that journey has transformed, which some of us know, some of us in West Court may not know it as much, but uh, David's going to share a bit of that journey as he teaches us this morning uh, from God's Word about how, how God embraces our own orphan status. Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to it, Dave. Um, and Dave will be available in the kiosk at the back of the, uh, by the stairwell up to the foyer there on the, straight back there after the service, Dave and Andrea will be there. So let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. I thank you Mm -hmm. for David and Andrea and their family extending that hope in Guatemala. And we pray even as he teaches us this morning that the, the power and beauty and wonder of your hope Uh, for us, will inspire us, encourage us, but also uh, uh, inspire us to spread your hope around. Thank you for this, and we trust you and your word to live among us again today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mo. Well, thank you for um, the opportunity this morning, and uh, in general, we're very grateful to Ellerslie. Um, It's been 16 years of going down to Guadalupe. It'll be 16 years in, in February next month. Um, and it's been an incredible journey. And overall, uh, Ellerslie has been our most faithful supporter through all those years. And we're very grateful. Uh, Andrea and I have been married for six and a half years. Um, the girls are four years old. Um, and so things have changed a lot over the years. I'm going to get into that, that a little bit. Um, but we're very grateful to all of you for, for prayers. And even when we come home, we feel like this is home. And we're, and we're very grateful to all of you for all of your continued support and prayers. Um, so this word on the screen there, adopted, um, I wanted to ask you, what does that where does, that, where does your mind take you when you see this word? Or maybe where does your heart go? Maybe some of us have a relationship with this word. We know someone that has adopted or we adopted ourselves, or maybe we are adopted or know someone that was adopted. Um, but this word, I, I want us to think about it over the next half hour or so. I want us to get into it because I think there's a lot of richness that sometimes we overlook. Um, in Guatemala specifically, this word is still something that's a little derogatory. They say, you, oh, you're the adopted one. as kind of a lesser status, not a legitimate child. But when we open God's word, we see something very different. And as Christians, those who follow Christ, it is so important for us to understand the, the concept that God portrays in his scriptures regarding this word. And so for me, this started... Like I said, some 16 years ago. Um, and this, this verse, I can remember in a small group here at Ellerslie, um, hearing a sermon that, was, that um, circled around this verse, 
This is Luke 6, 46. It says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And this is Jesus speaking um, very hard words for us to hear, that those were coming towards him, and Jesus was popular, Jesus was famous, and he said, why do you seek me, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't put into practice the very things I'm teaching you? And this confronted me. I had grown up in this church and learned solid theology of God's sovereignty, of the way that he wanted us to live. But in that moment, I realized I did not want to come before God, audaciously call him Lord, Lord, and not leave these doors and do what he said. And so that really sent my life on a different path. Um, From that point, I decided, okay, I need to do something tangible. And I remember getting involved in youth ministry here um, with the um, different I think it was the grade seven boys that I was a sponsor to and going to their basketball games and getting involved with them. And I would say, God, this is, this is great, but these kids have parents. <laughs> these, the parents would be the primary people that are discipling their kids, and these, these kids have parents. So I thought to myself, is there a place that I can go where there are youth like these, but that don't have any parents? And so the internet was was working back then. And so I would look on the internet, and I found this orphanage in Guatemala where I could go and serve. And that's when that was about 16 and a half years ago, um, and I was thinking about that as we were, we, were, we were singing these songs. I can remember so clearly the Sunday, it was probably a January, the Sunday that it was announced that I would be leaving for this short-term mission trip to Guatemala, and I, I excitedly handed out my prayer letter to everyone around, and, um, and one of my friends came up to me and said, David, I'm pretty sure you spelt Guatemala wrong. And effectively, I had. <laughs> um, so, Missions 101, that's not what, a good thing to do when, you, when you're starting to go on a mission trip. Um, but this verse rang through my head, impulsed everything that I was going to be doing, because I did not want to have that kind of relationship with God. I did not want to have a Sunday morning relationship with God where I was in love with him, but that love turned into nothing as soon as I walked out those doors. And so, I knew for me specifically that God had called me to full-time ministry. Um, and that's what I was doing. And so... Um, I, I flew down to Guatemala. I flew down to Guatemala, and it was definitely the hardest thing, I would say, that I've ever had to do. I got there, red-eye flight, got there at 4.30 in the morning. They took me to a common area and said, it was a Sunday morning, and they said, okay, church starts at 10. It was probably 5 in the morning. They said, you can just hang out here in this um, common area. Um, church will start at 10. I had my suitcases sitting there and thinking, okay. So I sat there, and for the next five hours processed what I was doing in this foreign country where I did not speak Spanish, where I did not know anyone in the entire country. And I can remember so clearly walking outside, going, there was a little fireplace with a bench, and I sat down there and I began to weep. I cried like I had not cried in a long time. And I prayed and said, God, I have made the biggest mistake of my life. I was so excited because I wanted to do something for you, but I am sitting here today so regretful because my emotions are telling me that I have made the biggest mistake of my life. But I stayed. I stayed and I returned and I learned and I pushed through. And living at that orphanage, I was able to grow in many different ways, serving the youth there. And effectively, I was able to come alongside and be someone stable in the lives of these youth who had lost everything. And I realized, too, that it's much more complex than just losing your parents. When we think about um, orphanhood, it is, it, it's so much deeper when kids are removed from their situation and put in, in an orphanage. They lose everything. They don't just lose their parents. They lose their siblings. They lose their neighbors. They lose their school. They lose their, their customs, everything. They're taken out of that context and thrown into a situation where they're expected to behave well under their new caretakers. It's, in the truest sense of the word, it's traumatic. 
And so learning about trauma and attachment and the, the depths of the impact of fatherlessness, I grew in compassion for these people who had lost everything, for these, these kids. But as I grew and as I began to, to, to work in different ways, working in the school, um, working in different aspects in the orphanage, I began to realize that um, the things I was seeing in them, I was also seeing in my own heart, which was a difficult thing um, for me to take in. I can remember so clearly arriving in Guatemala, my suitcase brimming with good in, um, expectations, um, good intentions of what was going to be done, but God really led me on this journey where he confronted myself. Over the past 16 years, our, our path has changed a lot. We're, not, we're no longer working in the same orphanage where I, where I started. We're working in a different ministry where now we work with local churches, where we're trying to get them to, to be the ones that are, that are reaching out to these kids, where we no longer have to trust and rely on these institutions to take in kids, but there are Christian families that would take them in. I believe with all my heart that that is God's design. And so that's what we're doing. We're working with an organization called Christian Alliance for Orphans in Guatemala, um, and we seek to to realize the dream, God's dream, that the church of Jesus Christ is plan A for orphans right now on earth. There is no plan B. God is not waiting, oh, if the church doesn't work, I guess I'll do something else. There is no plan B for these kids. It is families, Christian families, who will rise up, but they won't do it unless they understand the theology of adoption. And I, I, would, I would dare to say this, they should not do it if they do not understand the theology of adoption. Because it's complex, it's complicated. It's different than um, what we sometimes think it is. I can remember clearly uh, working with one of the boys who had spent 11 years in this orphanage. That is a long time. I think he was 15 years old. And so he got there when he was four. Really no memories before coming to the orphanage. And life in an institution, and I was in a good institution, um, but there are certain effects and damage that is done to a child because they do not have those stable caretakers in place. Um, inevitably, Things have to change. Um, house parents have to move away or, or can't work there anymore. Um, there are inevitable changes that, that, cause, that, that affect the child, and they're developmentally in, in different ways. Um, and this young boy had a brother, and his desire when I met him when he was 15 was to be adopted. Can you imagine that? 15 years old, um, had been separated from his family, and his desire was to be adopted. And so I said to him, the only thing that I know how to do for you in this situation is pray. That is the only resource we have. There's nothing else we can do. It's not like you can go to a, a talent show and have the kid perform and hope that one of the families adopts him afterwards. It doesn't work like that. And so we began to pray. And I can remember praying for months and months, and I remember the day where we received the phone call that out of the blue, a family had called and said that they were signing the papers for him. That he was going to be adopted. A 15-year-old boy. It's impossible, but God made it possible. But not all stories are like that. There was another boy a few years later um, who came to the orphanage a little bit, little bit later. A brother of a family of five. He was the oldest brother and wanted the same thing. With all his heart, he wanted a family. That was what he talked about. Um, he was a little more disillusioned with God because of what he had been through, but I, I took on the same path and said, the only thing we can do is pray. And we prayed and we prayed, and that call never came. He grew up, and now he's a 25-year-old guy who's trying to make it through life. He's having a really hard time. I was able to talk to one of his younger brothers who's going through a really hard time too. 
Because orphanhood in all of us goes really deep. It goes, gets down to our very identity. And unless we reconcile that, we will live the rest of our lives looking for something to fill that void. And so for me, um, this verse came in to be something that was so important. It came in to be something where I um, studied it. And it not only changed the way I looked at what I did, it changed my theology, but, theology, but ultimately, too, it changed my identity. Because I'd, I'd never understood the gospel that way. I was very clear that, of the missional aspect of God, where God wanted us not to sit every Sunday with our hands crossed and then go back to work and just have normal lives. God wanted us to act. The life of following Jesus was not about sitting down. It was about standing up and following him. I understood that. I heard that. But I was living a life for God. And I wasn't really sure of what my life with God and belonging to God looked like. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, even before he made the world, this is incredible, this is before Genesis 1, Paul gives a a highlight into what God was thinking before Genesis 1. God loved us and chose us in Christ. If we could understand the depths of this concept, it would transform the way we live. That truly God was meditating was thinking of and loving us before he created anything else. We were on his mind before there was any earth. And not only was he thinking of of us, he, he chose us. He chose us. Those of us who who belong to Christ, who have made that decision, who have believed, who God has revealed that to by his mercy alone, not by anything good that we've done. Because if any of us thinks that we can get there somehow or take one extra step, we are not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ takes 999 steps so that we can take one step towards him. And that's it. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before the fall of Adam, God had already thought of a way that he would redeem us. And he had chosen to redeem every one of you. He had chosen to redeem me. This was no accident. This was not the free will of man. He he chose, he laid out the path of redemption. But it goes beyond redemption. And this is what this verse gets to. It goes beyond the forgiveness of sins. It goes beyond the redemption of our souls. It goes beyond life in heaven. Because literally, we become part of God's family. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ did not die on the cross simply to forgive our sins. That is an incredible aspect of what he did. But it is deeper than that. If we were simply redeemed beings that lived outside of the family of God, we are not understanding the gospel. It's better than that. It's better than that we just get saved. It's that God gives us identity and not as servants. And this was the the, the lesson that I learned that I was working for God. I was trying my best to do everything for him. And I was acting like God was my boss. And I was trying to prove my worth and gain his approval as, as his servant. But God has called us to something better. Should we serve him with all of our hearts? Of course. But there's something beyond that. There's something else that he hopes for us. These last 16 years have been a journey of finding my own orphan self as God brought me close to the orphan, 
definitely it was to do incredible things in the kingdom of God, and I can't deny that. But the biggest work he's done has been inside of me, that he's brought me close to the heart of the orphan to expose my own orphan heart, that I did not believe this part of the gospel, that God chose me before anything else to be brought into his family, a legitimate son, one who belongs, one who will never be rejected, one who could never do anything to lessen or mitigate the love he has for us. So he brought us into his family through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center. It all comes back to him. He is the cornerstone. If our faith has any other structure that holds it up besides Jesus Christ, it will surely fall because he is the one who holds everything else up. He is that sure a place where we can stand, where that, that rock that we can lean into. And this part, I don't know, Paul just threw it in there because he wanted to. And it, it's incredible to me to see, because we get a little bit of, of what God's heart is. It says, this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. This was not something that God, um, it was not an afterthought. It wasn't something that God threw in afterwards. He said, okay, um, so humanity rebelled, so I should probably bring them back. And oh, I guess I could just make them part of the family too, you know. Jesus' only son, let's have a whole family. That was not his way of thinking. From, the, from day one and before day one, God was thinking of a family. That's his design. And the whole redemptive story that goes from Genesis 1 before that and up to Revelation is God reuniting his children in his eternal family. His eternal word that, word that binds us together and his spirit that brings us into, to be that family. It is by that spirit, it says in another place, that we cry out to him, that spirit of adoption, that we cry out to him, Abba, Father, the closest relationship there can be. And I struggled with this. I struggled because I was trying to perform. And I did perform. I was able to do really cool things. I remember one day when um, I was able to take the boys I was, I was taking care of and I was able to baptize them. And obviously those things have eternal consequences that I, I don't even know about and I don't see. Um, but I remember having this feeling of like, yes, God, I am doing something in your kingdom. And there were other instances. We had interactions with the first lady of Guatemala and and, and doing incredible things and, and going incredible places and talking to people and networking and all these things. And there was something in me that would give me a bump of self esteem saying, you are doing it for the kingdom of God. But you guys, that is not where our joy lies. Because there's nothing we could ever do to have God love us more than he already does. And in that same way, there's nothing that we could do to have God love us any less. I I honestly am still coming to terms with that. Because I still want to believe that God, but if I stop serving you, I really think your love will just kind of go down and be like, well. And there will be this cosmic disappointment towards me. But the God of the Bible is faithful. And the way he measures is not the way we measure. Uh, Being honest with you guys, uh, in the job that I that I am in right now as the director of this association, we had an event, um, and we were planning to have two thousand people come to this event, and it was an orphan care summit. The only thing of its kind in Latin America. People were coming from Chile and Argentina 
or not Brazil, um, but Costa Rica, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Mexico. People were coming. We were getting all these emails and calls that people were coming. And so we printed out 2,000 brochures or books for people to have when they came to this conference. And we had people come in from all over the place with great expectation and a lot of work. And those of you who have worked in any kind of conference know that a lot of work goes into it. And I worked, and I worked, and I worked. And you know what happened? Of the 2,000 people that were expected to come, that had confirmed that were, were there, 450 showed up. <gasps> I don't know what you guys, but for me, my personality, and I'm, st- I, I'm honestly transparently i'm still working through that (laughs) there was a big expectation and it completely fell through but god does not measure the way that we measure god does not look at the things of this earth the way that we see them because for me i would see that as a failure god we had this goal we did not meet it and so i would cross it off as a failure but how arrogant of me how arrogant of me because i've heard testimonies of things that have happened in that conference where families decided that they they were going to adopt that kid, an older kid, a Guatemalan family, they were going to become a foster family. Marriages that are being restored because of a word that they heard in that conference. How dare I measure something in human terms that God had an eternal purpose for? And in the same way, I cannot measure the love of God, what he feels towards me, just because of the way that I feel towards myself. I had an orphan heart. And it took God to bring me into the life of orphans, living at an orphanage for over a decade, to expose myself that I was only believing a part of the gospel. Because it's beyond redemption. It's beyond forgiveness. It is that God, through Jesus Christ, a price that was so high to pay, decided this is the only way that I can make him a son. And that is the relationship I want. You know, identify with the prodigal son. Um, Not so much with the one that left, but with the one that stayed, who also had a rebellious heart. And upon the return of his brother, said, I cannot believe this. Like, Father, you are... When did I ever get a fattened calf for just staying here being faithful? He was seeing his father as a boss. And what that father wanted was to see him as a son. And that's what God wants of me. There's nothing I can do to impress him. If there would have been 4,000 people at that conference, do you think God's heart would have been impressed? No, because his purpose was eternal. He had other things in mind beyond numbers that I could count. There's nothing any of us could do to gain not one single step to walk towards redemption, to walk towards that family. There's nothing. We are all on the same boat. There is no us and they, uh, us and them, sorry. The Jews are in the same boat as us, that there is only one path towards God. There's only one path. No one is born in. No one is a legitimate son outside the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But those of us who do believe, those of us who cross that path and walk through Jesus into the loving arms of that father, return to him and see him as that father, you are legitimate. You are legitimate. 
It took the older brother, Jesus Christ, and this is what I think about when I think about the Christmas season that we just passed through. The Christmas season is more about the day that God decided it's time to go and sign those adoption papers. So I'm sending the oldest son, my only son, born of me, to sign the adoption papers. And that's what Christmas and Easter is all about. It's about that God took the step towards us and all we have to do is open our hearts and believe that it is true. It is not about us doing. I longed to see God as my boss and he just longed for me to see him as my father. And I'm still coming to terms with that. What impresses me is that this is what he wanted all along. There is no striving at the foot of the cross. There's nothing we have to push through or, for, or push for or, or, or appear to be before Jesus because he knows it all. And the path, the goal of all of this, the purpose, what he wants from all of us is to see us as sons and as daughters. And so like I said, um, we expanded our family. We brought in Chisco, and you can see him there. There's the five of us. Um, three years ago, and it wasn't a formal adoption process. We didn't, um, he, was, he actually turned 18 and didn't have a place to go, and so we brought him in. And he turns 21 this month. Uh, and he's, uh, he's a part of our family. The girls believe that he's their brother, and, and quite literally he is now. And, and this figure to me, the fact that, that we're living in this situation ha- has, has caused my theology to deepen even more. Because you know what? Chisco didn't do anything. He didn't do anything in order to be adopted by us. And I use the word adopted because he was brought into our family. He did not do anything. Like I said, we did not go to a talent show, and he was the best act, and so we said, we want him. He didn't get enough gold stars at the orphanage that we thought, okay, we'll, we'll take him, I guess. His behavior is up to our standards. That's not the way it works. And the same way, God doesn't expect us to go to some cosmic talent show to perform before him so that he says, okay, I guess we'll take him. Or to get enough gold stars in the kingdom of God that we get our behavior up to a certain level that God says, oh, I guess you'll fit into our our limited family. God took every step towards us to bring us into sonship and daughtership. In the same way, Chisco did nothing. He was completely unaware of the, pro- the process when it was taking place. I remember going to meetings, and it wasn't a simple thing. Um, there were people that did not want to take us. There were people who told us, he will ruin your family. This is going to mess you guys up as a family. People outrightly told us this. Uh, and he was, that was unbeknownst to him. He had no idea this was going on. And in the same way that we were not knowing of the cosmic war that happened to get us. We did nothing. All we have to do is just show up. That is what God is expecting of us. But until we understand, until we understand that we are truly sons and daughters, all of the working for, all of the striving for, all of the appearances that we are experts at, I I realize that I was an expert and still am lots of times at creating a facade of what I want people to see. But somehow I believe that that facade works on God. And God is just saying, listen, it was my delight to choose you before there was anyone else, before there was anything else. That is how deep the love of the Father is for each and every one of us. 
That is the good news of the gospel that is beyond redemption. It's beyond forgiveness. It is about you and I belonging to an eternal family where we belong, where we have identity. But this message, that's, that's incredible when we can understand it for ourselves. And that is, that is the reason I share this morning. Is that so we can grow in depth of our understanding of the gospel. How incredible it was. The price that was paid by Jesus so that God's will could be done on earth by bringing you and I into his family. And that there is nothing we have to do. There's nothing more we have to do. A lot of times with Chisco, I, I still don't think he got it. That really there was nothing he could do that he's no longer part of our family. And I realized that I saw myself in that. That sometimes I kind of doubt, but God, I, I, these secret things, these sins, these, uh, no. There's nothing I can do to no longer belong to that family because it was a covenant. It was a pact that was made through the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us into that family. And so we work now, um, no longer uh, at the orphanage. We, we, we're no longer working, um, taking care of, uh, of these kids, which is what we did when we were first married. And this is going to sound terrible. But Andrea, when she and I got married, we, we lived on campus at the orphanage in a community of about 200 people. And she, coming from New Orleans, which is where she's from, getting married, excited. And, and I had this mentality of, I'm riding this horse and she's just going to hop on the horse and we'll just keep riding into the sunset. This, this working and this living in a, in a tight-knit community. But this is crazy. But she did not think that living in, in a little room in this big compound in an orphanage was an ideal of first year of marriage. Can you guys believe that? I thought that would be every girl's dream. And a year later, we moved into a house with 12 teenage boys to become their house parents. I thought that was a pretty good part of the deal. So we worked and we, we did this. And that's where we, we, we took care of Chisco, who later moved in with us. But through a series of different events, I now work for an organization where we are seeking to bring in the local church. Uh, the, the local church in Guatemala. Uh, international adoption is closed in Guatemala. There's no way for these kids to get out like they used to go. Um, Guatemala was the second h- highest exporter of children after China. They had about 5,000 kids go in 2007, and the whole thing was shut down. And since then, the system has never really recovered. And what we see in the local church in Guatemala, and I can see it more clearly now because it's a reflection of what's in me, is that more than the orphan crisis that is a societal problem in Guatemala, there are thousands and thousands of orphans, kids that are being abandoned, thrown into dumpsters, uh, this is a crisis in Guatemala, but you know what is an even more difficult crisis for me to see? Is a large evangelical population that is unaware of their own adoption, and so they don't see the needs of the orphan next door. They are so focused on themselves, and I don't say this as, uh, to, to judge them because I am in that same boat. We are so focused on what is going on inside that we are unable to look and see the brokenness next to us. And there is no them and us. We are all broken before God. We are all in need of the same amount of grace. 
There, there's nothing that I did better than that, that person who, who's still on the outside. And so we work with local churches to equip them, to teach them that this is not an option for us to believe this. If we say we follow Jesus, we understand that we were adopted into his family. And that does not lessen the impact. That does not lessen our status. On the contrary, this is the way that God chose to bring us in. And it's beautiful. And it's beautiful because it gives us the freedom that I don't have to strive to be a child of God. Just the same way that my little girls, every day they don't have to do a, a, a dance and color pictures for me to be like, okay, you're still my daughter. Okay, at least for today. That is not how it works. And it's the same thing before God. There's no striving. If we feel like we're still striving and working our way, we're not understanding the gospel. If we're still judging and saying, well, I'm glad I'm not as bad as that, we're not understanding the gospel. That the gospel is, a big part of it is that God brought us in to this eternal family where we're brothers and sisters, all of us here. And we could be in China right now and I could give the same message. And we could be in, in Africa and we could give the same message because it's a global family. We're no different. There is only one way to become a member of this family and it's through Jesus Christ. I wanted to um, read you something that I wrote a little while ago. It says, I realized that my outward lifestyle and works were slowly gaining ground and a lead on my inner narrative that preferred to see God as my boss and chose to be a child who felt like an orphan before God. Let us not have our works gain ground on what we are believing on the inside. If it, ta- if it means that we have to take time to do the inner work, to t- ask the difficult questions, God, do I really see you as a father? Or am I seeing you as a boss? Or whatever other figure you may have. If it takes going into my past, because inevitably your earthly father will affect the way you see our heavenly father. There's no way around it. If it takes that we need to go into the past to look at that, then let's do it. It's worth it. There's freedom there. Let us do the hard work to understand the depths of the gospel. It does not come naturally to us. We have to sit down and want to do it. And it will be painful, and it will be hard, and it will require difficult things of us, but there is freedom there. That if we allow the spirit to move in, there is freedom there. And if we don't do that hard work, if we don't understand the depths of how much we belong and how everything depends on the cornerstone that is Christ, we're not going to be able to do anything for his kingdom. We better just sit at home. And so I encourage you. This is, or, the orphan crisis in Guatemala is one of one million incredible causes on this earth. And I'm sure you guys know of NGOs and ministries that are doing incredible things all over the earth. And my goal this morning is not to persuade you to, to, to favor this one cause. It's to persuade you to believe and to understand the depths of what it means to be a son. Of what it means that we were all orphans and so I can identify with the orphan. That we were all brought in so I can identify with those who were brought in. And for those who adopt and for those who are close to that adoption circle, there's something about imitating what God did. There's a richness, there's a maturity, there's, there's a level of knowledge for those who, who take that step of bringing in someone who is not their own, who does not belong and makes them belong. That is close to God's heart. And so again, I, I thank you for supporting us in this. I'm so grateful. We are grateful as a family 
that you continue to mobilize us and allow us to do this work that we are so passionate of. And our goal is to see more and more families rise up and take care of orphans. We've seen more foster foster care families this year. We've had the opportunity to train them working with the government. Um, Really incredible things are happening. And I'm not... uh, unaware that it is because I belong to this church family. And not only the church family that is seated here, but like I said, this global community that through Jesus, we are one. We're on the same team. And so let us not forget what it cost for God to bring us into his family. And that it, it really didn't cost us anything. We get to sit and receive. Thank you.